0: Good morning and welcome to Simply Finance. It's Friday, March 1st. On today's show, G20 finance chiefs fail to reach a joint statement and Brazil's finance minister proposes a global tax on the super rich at the G20 meeting in Sao Paulo. Plus, we'll discuss the regulation of ESG rating firms as the gatekeepers for sustainable finance. This coverage and more up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Finance. We start off with a look at the recent G20 meeting, where finance chiefs from the Group of 20 Advanced and Emerging Economies failed to issue a joint statement due to disagreements over Russia's war in Ukraine and the Hamas-Israel conflict. This division within the G20 has been brought to the forefront by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Here to delve deeper into this is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Finance.
1: Can you tell us more about this division within the G20? Certainly, David. The G20 is currently split between Russia and China on one side and Western nations that have imposed sanctions on Moscow on the other. This disagreement over Russia's actions in Ukraine has made it difficult for the group to issue a joint statement. Brazil, which holds the G20 presidency this year, issued a chair summary instead, stating that the finance forum is not the appropriate place to discuss geopolitical issues.
0: This isn't the first time the G20 has
1: failed to issue a joint
0: statement, is it?
1: No, it isn't. However, it's worth noting that the finance chiefs did manage to reach a consensus and issue a joint communique at their previous meeting last year.
0: What were some of the key points raised during these talks?
1: Many countries strongly condemned Russia's invasion and the terror attack by Hamas on Israel, expressing concern about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Japan, in particular, believes that the G20 should address the issue of Russia's invasion of Ukraine due to its serious negative impact on the global economy. Apart from geopolitical disagreements, the G20 finance ministers and central bank governors shared the view that the global economy is headed for a soft landing, meaning a recession will likely be avoided. What were some of the
0: economic concerns discussed during the meeting?
1: The chair's summary noted wars, conflicts, economic divisions, and trade protectionism as downside risks to the economy. Despite slowing growth, the global economy has so far avoided a recession that was feared after aggressive interest rate hikes in major economies like the United States and the Eurozone and property woes in China. The G20 has maintained that foreign exchange rates should reflect economic fundamentals, noting that volatile and disorderly moves would negatively affect the global economy. And what about Brazil's stance, given that it currently holds the G20 presidency? Brazil has prioritized fighting inequality and creating a sustainable and just world. During the finance chief's meeting, Brazilian finance minister Fernando Haddad called for more equitable taxation, targeting the super-rich. Thanks for those insights, Bella. Speaking of finance, let's shift our focus
0: to the role of the financial system in achieving sustainable development goals. This is the essence of sustainable finance, a process that integrates environmental, social, and governance, or ESG considerations into investment decision-making. However, the effectiveness of sustainable finance hinges on investment decision-making being comprehensively informed by the ESG characteristics of business entities. Here to delve deeper into this topic is our correspondent. Could you explain the role of ESG rating firms in sustainable
2: finance? Certainly. ESG rating firms play a significant role in the ESG information ecosystem. They obtain, verify, and convey original ESG information and create new information by publishing their analyses and assessments. In essence, they are information intermediaries. They also exercise market oversight by aggregating information about a business entity or instrument from multiple sources, corroborating and communicating authentic information, and screening out erroneous or fraudulent contents. This implicit verification acts as an anti-fraud mechanism. In this sense, ESG rating firms can be regarded as the gatekeepers of sustainable finance.
0: Interesting. So what are some of the challenges that these ESG rating firms face in their role as
2: gatekeepers of sustainable finance? One of the main challenges is the divergence in ESG ratings. Different rating firms may use different categories and measurements of ESG factors, leading to systematic disagreements. This divergence is inherently reflective of the multidimensional, complex, and variable attributes of ESG issues. Another challenge is the lack of transparency in rating practices. Investors often express dissatisfaction with the inadequate and ambiguous disclosures made by rating firms. Lastly, conflicts of interest may arise, especially when rating firms also provide certification or consultation services to rated businesses. Given these challenges, what are some of the regulatory proposals being considered
0: to address these concerns?
2: Regulators are proposing a comprehensive set of transparency requirements. These include disclosures of data sources, rating methodologies, and procedures. They're also emphasizing the need to avoid and manage conflicts of interest by implementing internal control mechanisms to ensure the integrity and independence of rating practices. However, these proposals mainly take a disclosure-based regulatory approach, which may not be sufficient in promoting rating quality. Could you elaborate on why
0: a disclosure-based regulatory approach
2: may not be sufficient? While more transparency of rating practices could theoretically improve verifiability, it's not necessarily practical. Investors' evaluations based on these disclosures are estimations rather than ex-post verifications. The ex-post verifiability of the quality of ratings depends on the extent to which the actual ESG performance of rated entities or instruments can be systematically observed and measured. The proposed disclosures are irrelevant improving the ex-post observability or measurability of ESG performance. So if disclosure-based regulation
0: isn't enough, what other regulatory interventions could be considered to improve the
2: accuracy and reliability of ESG ratings? One proposal is a disgorgement scheme, which would require rating firms to have a stake in the negative consequences of their ratings. Specifically, a rating firm would have to disgorge a portion of its revenues if certain trigger conditions materialize. These trigger conditions, or proxies of inaccurate ESG ratings, would be predetermined by the rating firm on a self-tailored basis. This scheme could incentivize rating firms to improve their practices and deter them from misrating. Another proposal is a no-conflict rating principle, which would require a rating firm not to rate entities and their instruments if they are currently using the firm's certification or consultation services. This could help mitigate conflicts of interest.
0: Thanks for that insight, Michael. Speaking of complex financial issues, let's shift our focus to a recent G20 meeting held in Sao Paulo. Brazil's finance minister, Fernando Haddad, proposed a global tax on the super rich as a measure to combat rampant tax evasion. Joining us now to delve into this is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you tell us more about this proposal?
3: Certainly, David. Minister Haddad suggested that tax evasion could be addressed through international cooperation, ensuring that the wealthiest individuals contribute to societal and sustainable development. He also mentioned that Brazil is pushing for a declaration on international taxation by G20 members, which he hopes would be ready in July.
0: How has this proposal been received by other countries?
3: Well, Minister Haddad acknowledged that the path to implementing such a tax would not be smooth. There's likely to be a lot of debate, especially as not every country views this issue in the same way. However, it's worth noting that Brazil currently holds the presidency of the G20, and President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva has placed issues concerning the developing world, such as inequality and reform of multilateral institutions, at the forefront of its agenda.
0: What kind of impact could a global tax on the super-rich have?
3: According to a 2023 study by the Tax Justice Network, countries could lose up to $4.8 trillion in tax revenue over the next decade due to tax havens. A report by the EU Tax Observatory found that billionaires worldwide have effective tax rates equivalent to between 0% and 0.5% of their wealth. Therefore, A global tax on the super-rich could potentially recover a significant portion of this lost revenue. And
0: what about the wider context? Has there been a global shift towards this kind of
3: taxation? There's certainly been a growing call for higher taxes on the wealthy. U.S. President Joe Biden, for example, has pushed for a billionaire minimum income tax. Last year, the United Nations General Assembly adopted a resolution backing stronger international tax cooperation, However, the challenge lies in reaching a common agreement on the matter.
0: Thanks for that insight, Celeste. Now shifting gears to local finance news, the Bedford Finance Committee has approved a fiscal 2025 budget of $113,780,408 for action by annual town meeting. This represents an increase of 3.8% over the current fiscal year. The total includes $49,593,798 for education. Here to discuss this further is James, a correspondent for Simply Finance. Can you
4: break down the budget for us? Certainly, David. The budget for town departments and non-discretionary costs, such as utilities, interest, and insurance, was set at 60,678,034. The budget doesn't reflect major changes from proposals submitted for Finance Committee Review by the School Committee, the Select Board, and independent town departments. However, the Finance Committee has a meeting scheduled to continue discussion of a few warrant articles, so technically the budget figures could still be changed. What are the sentiments of the committee members regarding this budget increase? Several members have expressed their concerns. Philip Prince, for instance, said he doesn't love the increase this year and hopes for a more manageable increase next year. George Lee warned that if there's a 6% increase next year, The vote won't be the same. Most of the discussion focused on the 6.1% school budget increase, especially in the context of ongoing contract negotiations between the school committee and two educator bargaining units. What are the implications of this budget increase for the school department? The school budget increase has been a major point of discussion. Mark Bailey stated that the school department budget has been refined to the lowest it can possibly be. However, Abby Siebert, a former school committee member, remarked that there might be some shifting when the fiscal year 2026 budget comes along, due to many unknowns and moving pieces. Tom Rowan emphasized that quality education is a prime reason why people move to a town, and it's one area that is under local control. What about the concerns regarding the school budget growing at a rate exceeding other budgets? Committee Chair Ben Thomas pointed out That the school budget is growing at a rate exceeding everybody else's and that some of these other budgets are really squeezed philip prince even wanted to insert in the budget motion a requirement that the school department report to the finance committee in the fall and provide a reset estimate however he acknowledged the need to ensure competitiveness and to be able to hire and retain talent what was the public's reaction to this budget proposal During the public comment period, Bedford High School teacher Christine Lennox told the Finance Committee that she would make $21,000 more at Concord carlisle while teaching one less class. She emphasized that losing teachers to better-paying districts is detrimental to the entire system, and that it's imperative to self-correct now at this critical juncture. What were the significant outcomes of the budget discussions during the past month? The most significant outcome was a reduction in allocation of free cash to supplement revenues. The committee's latest financial model shows an injection of about $8.3 million in free cash, roughly half of the certified amount. The money is targeted toward non-recurring expenses, such as seeding a new stabilization fund for unanticipated out-of-district special education tuition or some school security improvements. Thanks for the insights, James. And with that, We wrap up
0: our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Finance. We'll see you back here tomorrow.